Hello, my friends. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to listen to the Northfield Podcast Network. We pray that this audio resource that you're about to listen to encourages you and enlightens you this week. Listen to more audio resources at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the Northfield Podcast Network. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to circle back one more time and talk about how evangelical denominations are embracing critical race theory and why this theory, this worldview, is antithetical to the gospel, to the biblical worldview, and it must be rejected. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's Rebellion. All right, for the last couple shows, I have focused on a variety of different stories pertaining to critical race theory and how it has infiltrated the evangelical church. I've used the example of the Wesleyan church and what one of their former leaders, Dr. Joanne Lyon, has actually posted publicly and why I have difficulty with this and why I think anyone who is using a biblical worldview as their measuring rod outside of those things being measured should likewise have a problem with this. I'm going to talk today more about this book that was promoted by the Wesleyan Church called Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. And I'm going to give you an example of what she actually teaches I'm going to dig deeper into that book and share with you information that I haven't shared yet, information that you will be fascinated to learn. And I'm also going to go to a Facebook exchange that I've had with regard to another posting in an evangelical site that actually, actually extols Black Lives Matter as an organization and implicitly suggests that conservative Christians somehow align with the KKK. That's the nature of today's show. I'm going to share those exchanges with you, that information with you, more about that book with you, and then I'm going to conclude with a statement as to why I'm so passionate about this, a statement that's actually in chapter 19 of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. I cover all of this in my book. Because, frankly, when you boil it all down to its basic tenets, critical race theory and all of this fixation on the color of a person's skin is juvenile, it's infantile, and it's childish, and it's the antithesis of Paul's admonition, St. Paul's admonition, that we grow up and start acting like adults rather than adolescents. Let's take a break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when I get back, we'll talk about Letitia Morrison's book, Be the Bridge, as well as a Facebook exchange that I've had recently with regard to BLM and the implicit 
post the implicit message that somehow if you're a conservative Christian, you must be aligning with the KKK in the same manner that progressive Christians are aligning with BLM. This is asinine and this is insulting, and I'll explain to you why. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break for a couple minutes, and when we get back, we'll discuss these stories and more. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, let's get right to it here because we've got limited time, obviously, on every show, but I've got a lot I want to cover here. So, again, I want to clarify, I'm not picking on any one specific denomination. I really think you could take almost any of our denominations and put insert them into this story. But because I have knowledge of this particular church, this information comes to me readily. Frankly, it's almost always shared with me by somebody else within the church, a pastor or whatnot, who has grave concerns. And for whatever reason, he may not be willing to speak out, maybe fear of losing his job, running into the powers, cross purposes with the powers that be, at headquarters or whatnot, he's reluctant to speak, so essentially asking me to do so and flag these issues so that other people within the church are aware. And people, I don't apologize for doing so. I think we actually have an obligation to speak out. And some people might say, well, why don't you deal with it privately? Well, because public proclamations warrant and call for a public response. For example, when I go on the radio, as I'm doing right now, when I write for the Washington Times, as I do each week, those are public proclamations. And if you criticize me or call me out publicly for what I've said, that's your right, maybe even your responsibility. You don't have to approach me privately. You understand the difference? So when Matthew 18 says, go to your brother privately, I think that's a completely different set of circumstances. And it's a misinterpretation uh, uh, of that passage to apply it to public proclamations. In other words, when you state something publicly, you can expect a public response. That's logical, and I also think that's biblical. And you don't have any right to pout and complain about it when you get that public response. I don't, you don't, nor does a church or a newspaper or anybody else that engages in public communication. All right, so someone referred me to this following statement that is presently posted on the Wesleyan website, and it's under the heading, What Can We Do About Racism? The Wesleyan Church. That's the headline posted on their website. They chose to publish this. It's a public proclamation under that headline, and I'm going to read it again because that's important. The headline The title, if you will, sets the context for everything to follow. When I published my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, that's the title I chose. That's what my publisher chose to make public. It sets the context for everything that follows in the book. So you have to read what follows in that context, right? Okay. So here's what it says, and I'm quoting right now. We have explained to those who believe that Black Lives Matter, BLM, is a violent terrorist group, that there are fringe groups being misrepresented as part of BLM, and over 80 different groups use the name to identify themselves. 
if conservative Christians don't want to be lumped in with the KKK, they can't lump violent protesters in with all those who make the claim that Black Lives Matter. Close quote. Now I'm going to read that to you again. You need to listen to this very carefully. I'm going to give you my response. This is a terrible statement. And again, the Wesleyan Church has chosen to publish this statement on their website under the title, under the headline, What Can We Do About Racism? The Wesleyan Church. Here's the quote. We have explained to those that believe Black Lives Matter, BLM, is a violent terrorist group that there are fringe groups being misrepresented as part of BLM, and over 80 different groups use the name to identify themselves. If conservative Christians don't want to be lumped in with the KKK, they can't lump violent protesters in with all those who make the claim that black lives matter. Close quote. Now here's my response. You ready? Okay. This is offensive and stupid. The fact is that no conservative Christian that I know of, as in zero, even remotely aligns with the KKK. In fact, true conservative Christians, biblical Christians, conservative Christians, Christians who believe in the inerrancy of the word, find such an organization as the KKK anathema to their faith. Conservative Christians such as myself, such as you all listening, condemn the KKK as vociferously as we do BLM, and for good reason. The reason is this. Both organizations are hateful, racist organizations. And suggesting some sort of false equivalency between conservative Christianity, their language, and the KKK, their language, is ridiculous. This statement, inane as it is, betrays what these smart folks really think of the rank-and-file members of their church. And such insults should be condemned with the loudest voice. Do you hear what I'm saying? There's a reason I'm highlighting this. These types of statements betray what they really think of you. That if you identify as, and I hate that language, I, know, I, re, I regret even using it. I'm so sick of people saying, I identify as. If you claim to be a conservative Christian, a biblical Christian, an evangelical Christian, in the historical sense of the word, if you claim to be a Christian who stands for the inerrancy of Scripture, for the primacy of Christ, for the priority of Scripture, for the pursuit of truth, and for the practice of godly wisdom. If you claim to be a conservative Christian, they're lumping you in with the KKK. And they're saying that you can't claim to stand against BLM if you don't want to be lumped in with the violent protesters of KKK. And that is just stupid. It's offensive. It's ridiculous. It's inane. It's a false equivalency to the max, and you should condemn it with the loudest voice, and you should call upon everybody within your church to do likewise. Now, I did have one person that I respect on Facebook. I'm going to 
give you his first name, not his last. He responded, um, Dan, responded by saying this. I'm a little stunned by the lack of real investigation on this issue. I see a lot of condemnation from folks who apparently have a desire to spout a few words against the next great heretical denomination. But if you take three minutes to investigate, you will discover this is not a denominational statement on racism. This appears in a list of self-submitted stories from a myriad of people within the denomination regarding what they are doing to combat racism in their context. That is all. That someone in the church at large has a view different than mine is surely not a reason to defame the entire denomination. Dr. Piper, I expect more diligence out of you than this. Sound fair? Well, I'm going to tell you why I disagree with Dan. And here it is. The Wesleyan Church chose to publish this under the heading that I cited. They chose to publish this under the title, What Can We Do About Racism? The Wesleyan Church. They did not have to publish the statement. They chose to do so. And in choosing to publish it, they chose this as being representative of their church. They didn't choose to publish a KKK screed, did they? They chose to publish a BLM apologist. They chose to publish an apology, a defense of Black Lives Matter as an organization. Now, because they chose to do this, they can't now wash their hands of this statement and simply say, well, it's someone else's view. That's disingenuous at best, if not deceptive. So I completely disagree with my friend Dan, who's saying that I've taken this out of context. And in fact, the context is exactly what I've said. This is something they've chosen to be emblematic and representative of their church. And they're calling conservative Christians within their church somehow uh, to be sympathizers with the KKK. How stupid, how offensive. Okay, next topic. Latasha Morrison and her book, Be the Bridge. There's a school in Charlotte that just last year chose to embrace this book. Now, everybody's stumbling over themselves within the evangelical church to embrace this book as part of their curriculum. So you might want to check your own church because I would say there's better than a 50-50 chance <laughs> that it's probably already been being used in some of your Sunday school classes and maybe in some of the training of your pastoral staff and your lay leadership. Now, this is... Uh, this is a book that I've already discussed, so I'm not going to belabor it that much. But essentially, Be the Bridge is the brainchild of this woman, Latasha Morrison. And she twists scripture throughout the book and twists it so that it can be consistent with critical race theory. Now again, critical race theory is an offshoot of critical theory. It's neo-Marxist in philosophy, and it has roots in the Frankfurt School. And its methods are drawn from Karl Marx of Marxism and Sigmund Freud. It goes all the way back to these two atheists who worked as best they could to upend all of Western civilization through class conflict. Now, at first, this conflict was a conflict of the libido and the id. In other words, sexual conflict within the self as well as economic 
conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. And the proletariat was to rise up and overthrow the bourgeois. And we know about all that. Thus the Soviet Union, thus the murder of 100 million people under the banner of the upraised fist of Marxism over the last 100 years. And I've covered what that fist means in a previous show. So critical race theory embraces the Marxist worldview. In fact, it is a brainchild of the Marxist worldview. Critical race theory teaches that institutional racism exists in every structure of society and that these structures are intrinsically designed in a manner to protect and preserve white supremacy. Okay, that is a foundational fact of CRT. And Latasha Morrison embraces CRT. And Christian institutions, Christian schools, Christian colleges, and evangelical churches are embracing this book, Be the Bridge, as part of their curriculum. Does this make any sense? The answer is no. Her worldview is antithetical to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is color fixated rather than color blind, and she even tells you that. She doesn't even try to hide it. Okay. At an event here, this is, this is, listen to this one. Uh, when she spoke at a Campus Crusade for Christ rally, and Campus Crusade for Christ has been changed in name to Crew, C-R-U, she preached an entire sermon that indicted an entire ethnic group. And what was that group? Everyone that was white. So she preached a sermon based on the virtue of everyone's skin color. The sermon didn't focus on character. It focused on color. It didn't focus on confession. It focused on the color of your skin. And at the end of her sermon, listen to this one. This is, if there's anything such as spiritual abuse, this is it. At the end of her sermon, she told the entire audience, which was predominantly white, to stand up as one and repeat after her a lamentation of their white guilt. Did you hear that? Now, what would you have done had you been in that audience? Let's say you're sitting in an audience of two or 3,000 people, and the speaker tells everybody they need to stand up and confess their sin and you stay in your seat, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. You're going to know it. So there's going to be this huge, huge pressure on you to go with the flow and to do what everyone else does. And very few people in such circumstances have the courage to say, no, I'm not going to do this. If I'm only one of a thousand, I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to stand because what she's asking me to do is wrong. I disagree with her message. So in other words, she is manipulating people to play along and to buy into this lie that you are guilty just because of the way you look and just because of your genetics. You're guilty of some sort of sin just because you have lighter skin than others. Uh, I could go on and on, but this one's important before I move on. Latasha Morrison is also a close friend and associate of a woman and I believe you pronounce her name, Akemeni Yuan. I'm going to spell it if you want to look it up. E-K-E-M-I-N-I-U-W-A-N. Akemeni Yuan. This woman gave an anti-white speech 
at a women's conference in March of 2019, where she infamously said this, whiteness is wickedness. Again, whiteness is wickedness. Now, if you were to take whiteness out and put blackness in, or Asian in, or Hispanic in, or Native in, you rightfully, rightfully would be accused and labeled as a blatant, ugly racist. But you can do it by saying white and avoid all of those accusations now. And that's just wrong, people. This is pitting one group against another. It is not the gospel message. So Morrison is an apologist for this type of rhetoric. So why do I have difficulty with all of this? Well, essentially, in the six minutes or so that I've got left in the show, I'm going to say it this. I'm going to refer to chapter 19 of my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, where I say this is a fixation on faulty thinking. It's a fixation on second things rather than first things. And you remember what I've said about C.S. Lewis's admonition. If you put second things first, you get neither the first nor the second. You lose it all. But if you put first things first, you get them, and you might get the second things thrown in to boot. This is a fixation. It's a faulty worldview that looks on second things. It elevates microaggressions and trigger warnings. It elevates color fixation, navel-gazing on race, rather than the unity of the body of Christ. It's divisive. It focuses on diversity rather than university. And this is not what the United States of America, one nation under God, indivisible, is supposed to stand for. So it runs, these faulty ideas run away from the debate rather than toward it. They don't even want to have a debate. They don't even want to discuss it. They'll silence you. Thus, the overlap of critical race theory and cancel culture. It results in exclusion rather than inclusion. It's segregation rather than integration. It cries for comfort rather than accepting challenges and confrontation. These deficiencies in this worldview do not rectify themselves over time. This will not end well. It just is a cancer that boils up. It grows with each passing moment. And the more these second things are highlighted, the less likely anyone will ever understand the first thing of Christian unity, of unity rather than diversity. So I am going to say this. I'm going to take a second seat or a back seat to no one on this issue. For 30 years... While my wife and I were involved in education, we had at least 15 different college students live with us and become part of our family. They, some of them lived with us for a semester. Some of, us, some of them lived with us for four semesters, the entire experience. Some of them lived with us for even more than that. And each one of these students became part of the Piper family while they were attending college, and even after they graduated in some cases. And I would like to think that they're still part of the Piper family. Now, here's the thing. The majority of these kids were from different cultures. Some of them were even from different countries, for that matter. But in in my house, none of this mattered. We didn't talk about that. That wasn't the point. In my house, unity, not diversity, 
was our concern. We were a family. We are a family, pure and simple. We talk about character, not color, or age, or nationality, or your social status. I don't care about that stuff. We talk about what we have in common, and we don't worry about how we are different. We focus on our Savior, and we don't enable people to fixate on themselves. We hold each other accountable to be righteous and not to defend their rights. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're more interested in what is good than what is safe. Back to the title of my book. My family's identity, the Piper family's identity, is in Christ. Not in our individual grievances. And under my roof, a man is a brother. Nothing more and nothing less. There are no subdivisions of my family. My home is a university, not a diversity. One more time, my home, the Piper family, is a university, univerities. We are unified by the truth. We do not fixate on division, diversity. We're expecting everyone in my family to act like an adult and to behave accordingly, not like a child. My house isn't a daycare. Our priority is to know and honor God and not stand in line to share our grievances. So, my admonition to you, forget what these proponents of diversity are telling you. Just forget it. They say that they're striving to bring unity, but their goal is to create further division. They say that they champion what brings us together, but no, in actuality, all they're doing is striving to divide. Divide you, divide me. They pl they're playing on race. They're creating greater separation between people, people of different colors, different backgrounds, different countries, different neighborhoods. They're calling for bipartisanship, but that's a lie. They do that while they castigate and cast out anyone who holds different beliefs and values than them. While claiming that they accept all people as they are, they reject those who do not believe like they do. These progressives call for people to come together while finding pleasure and driving them further apart. Don't buy the lie. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Don't let them manipulate you into standing up into group laments when you know darn well you're not, that's not who you are. This group of people that they're defining as part of their critical race theory is not who you are. Don't buy the lie. Remember this, that in times of universal deceit, and this is blatant deception, it's a blatant lie, truth is the only rebellion left. Hang on to the truth, post the truth, proclaim the truth, confront the lie with the loudest voice. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.